Hi, this is Terry Glaze, and you're listening to Drag the Water. You know what time it is. It is time to drag the water some more. I am your host, Joshua Toomey, and the guest this week is Vinnie Paul's longtime Hell Yeah drum tech, Patrick King. Patrick has a long history with Pantera, a long history with Hell Yeah, spent many years on the road teching for not only Vinnie Paul, but also was Chad Gray's personal assistant for a while in Hell Yeah, so he has been in the camp for a very long time. He has a ton of great stories about how he became a drum tech, how he became Vinnie Paul's drum tech, and how it was his first drum tech gig. How's that for your first drum teching gig? Uh, The last time tearing down the kit, going to Vinnie Paul's funeral, some great Pantera stories because Patrick grew up in the Dallas area, so he got to see pantera many times back in the day and talking to patrick was one of the times that makes me realize that this podcast is going to be a little bit harder than i originally thought because doing this podcast it's about celebrating pantera about celebrating the members of pantera and the people that have been around the members of pantera but there's a lot of tragedy with pantera too so these guys all have stories of where they were when they found out dime passed where they were when they found out Vinny passed going to the funeral. So there's a lot of stories like that that will be told on this podcast. I really need to shift the focus of the podcast, though, to more of the celebration side. But if people want to talk about, you know, if if the conversation goes to the tragedies of Pantera, then it'll go there. But definitely don't need to go into an interview with one of the questions about, you know, when did you find out Vinny passed or how did you find out Diane passed? And, 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 and this one is one that kind of hits... Hits hard because, you know, Patrick was uh, Vinny's uh, drum tech right at the end there. And, uh, you know, Patrick gets choked up. I get choked up. And it just shows, you know, the power of this of the band, the power of the people. And just, you know, that these are people and people were close to them. And it's a tough thing to talk about even so many years later. But Patrick was a great guest. Also, check out Patrick's coffee. Peking's 333 Road Dog Blend. It is Great coffee, and as you will hear from it, it's fucking delicious. (laughs) So check that out. You can go check out his coffee at rockedbeverage.com. That's R-O-C-K-D, beverage.com. And check out the Peking's 333 Road Dog Blend over there. That's a cool thing that they have going on. And uh, some more cool stuff. Always great for getting some Apple Podcast reviews. Make sure to head over to your iTunes, your Apple Podcast. Leave a nice five-star rating, nice five-star review, and I will read it on an upcoming episode. This is a five-star review from P.A. underscore Cheddar. Pantera. Great job, Josh. I can't wait to hear what else is coming up. And what else is coming up is my interview with Patrick King. But first, let's go into the Wayback Machine over on my other show, the Talk To Me podcast. Check out a classic interview with Billy Grazia Day of Biohazard talking about touring with Pantera and how much fun that was. By far, hands down, the best and most fun tours I've ever done in my life. We had a lot. We did a lot of tours. We did two U.S. tours, 
Europe, Japan, Australia. Um, spent a lot of time with those guys and, and had a blast. The uh, um, the great memories. Dime and I were pretty close. Um, we used to go to clubs after the show and, and jam with local fans, you know, here and and you know everybody was wasted and but it was you know doing guitar leads <laughs> back and forth. Dime always won, and uh, he I loved he loved a song we had called Tales from Hard Side. But his favorite was uh, What Makes Us Tick. Yeah, and he would try to sing it. He couldn't sing that high, but he'd always <laughs> try to hit the note. Come on, Billy, try it. What makes us tick? And he couldn't hit the note, but he'd always get me to do it. They were big in the gambling in a fun way. Uh, and they would gamble anything. They'd flip a quarter for $500. You know? so, wow. Um, but we taught him how to play a game called CeeLo, which is like a, uh, a game, a ghetto game for Brooklyn. You know, it's like craps, but it's called CeeLo. Okay. We taught him how to do that, and they loved that. Uh, I remember... A lot of a lot of great times, man. Um, that picture I, I posted, somebody just sent me that recently because I, I used to play jam with them every night on stage, and there's and I've never found a decent photograph. And somebody out of the blue just um, sent me it was a video, a snap of a video. Um, but there's always so many photographers that I still can't believe. I found one photographer, and he he had his name all over, and I remember asking him for the photo. Come on, can I get a photo? Of just I'm not just like hanging up my, you know, my living room. He said, "Oh, it's available um, on my site for seventy five dollars." Like, <laughs> it's, it's me. It's, it's a picture of me. You're selling it pictures of me, anyways. Right. I, I, you know, I, you can't. I'm not gonna. Everybody has the right to work, and that's cool. But uh, that was my. So that po- that that picture was real. Um, it was time and I singing. Um, probably walk. Mm-hmm. It was great. I, I got actually jammed with Rex not too long ago, and we played uh, we played Walk also. Oh, awesome. Patrick's memorials. All right, and now on to Patrick King, drum tech of Vinnie Paul. time to drag the waters some more with patrick king and i don't want to call you former drum tech of vinnie paul i want to call you drum tech of vinnie paul man how are you doing right i'm doing good man and that's kind of the way i consider it too hope you're doing well i am doing well thank you Um, yeah man it was like uh, i kind of kept it the same way because people would ask me like uh you were Vinnie Paul's room tech. Well, I was like, well, I still am. Right. Until, until he relinquishes my duties, it stays the same. <laughs> That's so cool, man. Uh, before we dive into all that side of it, obviously this is a Pantera podcast, but let's talk a little bit about, you know, how someone becomes a drum tech. Um, you know, were you in bands as, as, a, as a kid and things like that, or, or how did this start out? Yeah, it's it's weird. I got to start, unlike most people. Uh, but I will say this: Yeah, I was in uh, bands as a kid, but I was a guitar player in, in the bands I was in. Also, did you know, like school band and stuff like that. Played trumpet, things like that. My brother was a drummer, or is a drummer. Um, so I kind of came up around music. My mom's a musician, and uh, so it was kind of came natural to to get involved in this stuff. 
Now, for, for me, I did like uh, just the, the blue and white collar world for a very long time before this. And uh, just so happens I was working with a comedian early on that uh, Vinny uh, was friends with. And he decided to produce the guy's show in Vegas. So I went to work in Vegas for Vince, but working for this comedian. And then uh, over time, uh, once we did the show there and the show came to a close, I just told Vince, I said, you guys ever need somebody on the road? Let me know. And uh, about two months after that, I was back in Texas and he calls me. He and his uh, right dog, his right hand man, called me up and they're like, uh, hey, man, if you're still interested in doing something with us, uh, our singer Chad's looking for an assistant. With well, hell yeah. Okay. So I was like, yeah, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Okay, let's, let's give it a <laughs> shot and see what happens. So I went over there and I talked to Chad and uh, and uh, we hit it off pretty good. And I kept looking at my my watch at the time because I don't wear them anymore, but because uh, fuck that. Um, but he, I was wearing a watch and he goes like, "You got somewhere to be?" I was like, "Yeah, I got to be at work at five a.m. Man, I got to be out of here." He's like, "Oh shit, this guy's like responsible." <laughs> <laughs> so I went did my gig and then came back, went on tour with them as Chad's assistant, and then. Um, you know, Vinny had Cat as his as his tech right, right. from the Pantera days until forever, and Cat was out with us at the beginning of Hell Yeah. Well, when Cat uh, left uh, with Hell Yeah, then he called me up and he was like, "Hey, man, we're looking. You know, I'm trying to keep everything figured out together, whatever. But I need a drum tech." And it was actually Bright Eye called me up and he was like, "Hey, man, I, Vinny wants to talk to you. I think he wants you to talk to you about being his drum tech." And I was like, "What?" And he was like. <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, he really wants you to uh, come talk to him about this. And I was like, oh, shit. So he goes, here's Vince. Vince gets on the phone. He goes, yeah. He goes, uh, you think you put my kid together for me? I was like, yeah, you training me? And I was like, <laughs> you know, just all cocky and shit. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, he was like, yeah, man, be at the house at six. So I hung up the phone and was like, you know, shaking. Right, right. I was like, oh, shit. So but go to the house and uh, they had a kit set up there. And I walked in and I looked at it. And he's like, yeah, man, I want you to get this in your head. And he goes, all right. Uh, I said, all right. And he goes, uh, when you're done, come in here and talk to me. So I went into the kitchen, go talk to him. He has somebody else take the kit apart, put it in different places oh, and wow. shit. And while we're talking, you know, he's pouring shots. So we're doing vodka shots and shit. And then he goes, uh, he goes, all right, go put it back together. So I put it back together. He comes back in. He looks at it. And he's like, all right, well, it's not bad, but, you know, this is a little off. This needs to be closer in. These need to be here. This needs to be tight. You know, that kind of shit. And I was like, all right. So he goes, all right, so now that you know where it's at again, get it in your head. Now you take it apart. When you're done taking it apart, let's talk some more. So back and forth, we did this shit like about five times. And five or six times. I go back in there, and after the last God knows how many shots were deep now, <laughs> you know, I walk back in there, I set it up. He's like, all right, man, great. You got the gig. You got three days. We're going to Australia. And I was like, fuck, man. I go, why'd you get me drunk? He goes, man, because if you can do this shit when you're drunk, you can do it when you're sober. Oh, that's a great story. And I was like, fair enough. So, yeah, we went to uh, we went to Australia and started the, uh, what was it, uh, Soundwave. Did that one. Had some side gigs with uh, BLS and um, called Sidewave. And, uh, yeah, we knocked those out. And the first day I had his kit down on the floor and somebody uh, bright dog calls me on the radio he's like hey man Vinny wants to talk to you he's like what's up he's like uh he's down there on the floor by his kit and Vince is asking me about who tuned his kit you know he's like who tuned this fucking thing i was like i did he's like bullshit who tuned it i was like dude i fucking did he's why are you fucking lying to me i did i was like dude i promise you i fucking tuned your kit he goes all right chief how'd you do it i said i recorded your kit in texas your rehearsal kit on my phone it's the same dimensions it's going to sound exactly the same he goes listen. i said listen I put my phone up to his ear and played it back for him. 
and he listened to it and he was like, holy shit. He just shook his head, smiling, walked away. I was like, am I fired? I mean, what the fuck is, but he liked it and he kept me and there you have it. That was it. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to like, you know, I've been around music my whole life and, and when it comes to like tuning a drum kit, you know, I've watched drummers do it and it's, it's one of the more insane, you know, you're, you're going from like what lug to lug, like to do, to do, you know, trying to get it all, right. get it all, it all the, the, uh, the you know, sounds correct and things like that. So, so yeah. that's, that's, that's gotta be the most daunting of all, you know, I don't, were you guys using any sort of triggers or anything or, or was he straight? Yeah, we used triggers, but yeah. what he would do is he would blend the sounds out. Oh, okay. So we have the front of house guy would blend out the triggers and the, uh, the mics that we had inside. And, uh, it came out with, you know, sounded like vents. Nice. Just, Kick ass and balls to the wall all the way. Now going into all this, I mean, so so was Vinny your first kind of drum tech job? Period. Okay, yep. that's it. That was that was my <laughs> that was my learning experience. Nice. Paul was my learning experience. All right. So going into all this, you know, what's your history with with Pantera? Were you a big fan? Obviously, if you're in Texas, you got to be right. Yeah. Well, I grew up. Yeah, I grew up in the same uh, same area, Arlington, Texas. In uh, Arlington, Pantego, Dalworthington Gardens, they're all like. Right there. I mean, they were all together. Yeah. So you know, somewhere in the in the in the shit that I've got in the closet in there, you know, there's probably still flyers from high school that are <laughs> hand drawn copies that says Pantera at Joe's Garage. Nice. Pantera at Savvy's or the basement or wherever the fuck they were playing that week, with whatever other you know local bands. And so it was it was kind of cool to see them come up from the ground level up. Yeah. And uh, you know, being when I was younger, I could. I had that, that shitty eighties mustache. I think everybody had <laughs> nice. that thin, bad porno stash. And, uh, but I remember getting into places and seeing them play and it was just kind of like, Oh, they're here again. You know, you kind of just kind of get used to it. We're like, Oh, they're great. Oh, right. Don't get me wrong, but they're here again. You're like, all right, cool. And then, uh, I remember some years later, a buddy of mine calls me up. He's like, Hey, you want to go see white zombie at a Starplex? I'm like, yeah, sure. I said, who's opening for him? He's like, Pantera. I'm like, Really? <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, cool. You know, it's like it's one of those things you got so used to it, you'd got you didn't really I didn't realize how much they had grown in right. that time. And uh but I do remember uh, uh an ex-girlfriend of mine that I had in high school, her brother gave me the cassette for power metal. And I remember listening to that thing till I wore it raw and it was just badass, you know. And uh but everybody around here knew who they were, you know, you Go to the store in the middle of the night, you'd run into Dime. You know, <laughs> you go to see some band play, and Vinny and Dime are there. You know, right. so that was kind of my exposure to to the Pantera guys growing up, and just like I say, you see them out and about, and hear their stuff whenever you went to clubs, and it was cool. So, were you seeing them with with Terry in the band also, or were you were you just a straight Phil guy? Uh, you know, kind of when you got into the band, right? When I got into it, yeah. when I actually got into them, it was Phil. Uh, heard of him, you know, with Terry, but, uh, wasn't deep into it more until Phil was in there. Yeah. They're, they're definitely ingrained in Texas. I actually got to see Pantera in Texas on Ozfest, whatever, whatever, one of the Ozfests. And, um, it was right around Dime's birthday. Cause I think Dime's birthday was the next day in Houston or vice versa. And, you know, it was, it was just amazing for me as a, as a young kid to see Pantera in Dallas, you know, you're like, this is awesome. And, uh, yeah, so this, so they definitely, uh, you know, always wore the, the Dallas and Texas flag, you know, on their, on their shoulders. Oh yeah. I always, always were, uh, paid homage to Texas, which is great. You know, I always love that. 
So how did you get? Do, can we talk about what comedian this was, or or do we do we not no, talk no, about him? <laughs> no, it's fine. It was a. In this day and age, I don't know his name might even offend people. It was a dude named Chinaman. Um, <laughs> okay. So if you're pissed off, sorry. Right. That's what it was. But yeah, it was a dude that I knew when I was growing up. Uh, he lived around the block from me for a time, and uh, so we we knew each other kind of from like kid days. Okay. And then uh, we he went off to college and or through after high school went off to college and stuff, and I went did my own thing, and it was actually the first hell yeah CD release party. Um. A buddy of mine had called me up and asked me if me and my girl wanted to go over there to, to the clubhouse for the CD release party. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's go check it out and see what happens. But I knew Mark would be Mark Chinaman. That's his real name is Mark. So I went to go see Mark because I hadn't seen him in forever. And I was like, well, this would be a good time to go and hang out with him and see him and, you know, just say hi at least. So I got there, said hi to him. And, uh, you know, they got the music blast and strippers are going, you know, doing their thing, which is always great. Bonus. Yeah. Oh yeah, always great. I'm not offended. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we had a we had a great time. And then uh, yeah, I just ended up talking to uh, Mark Chinaman that day, and um, we uh, he asked me, he's like, "You still play guitar?" I'm like, "Yeah, I still play." He goes, "You want to come out in the road with me and do some song parodies that I do, and you just play them and I'll sing them." I was like, "All right, cool." So we started doing that in like the comedy clubs, and then we started adding like lights and sound to the act, and it just got bigger and bigger. And, Vince was taking notice of it, and that's when Vince was just like, we actually showed up at his house on a Super Bowl Sunday. Nice. And uh, we had gotten cut loose from a gig in Oklahoma because they didn't realize how raunchy the show was. <laughs> and it was a, apparently a family-friendly Christmas event or whatever, or, you know, holidays event. Right, right. Uh, I should say holidays. It was after that. But, um, we... <laughs> So we go up there and we come back, we come to Vinny's house, all the shit's still in the in the van and we pull up and Vince is like, oh man, that sucks you got fired. Tell you what, uh, why don't you guys do the show out here by the pool for everybody that's here at the party for the Super Bowl party? We're like, all right, cool. So we went out there and did it for that, set up everything, all the lights, all the sound effects, all the shit that we did. And, and he loved it. And that's kind of what got him started on the idea of wanting to do this thing in Vegas. And yeah, yeah, that was kind of it. We did that out there for... We did it at five months at one location that was a, a hotel off the strip uh, called the Greek Isles. And then we did another uh, short-term deal at the uh, Hard Rock at a place they used to have called Wasted Space. We did it there for about three months, and then that was the end of the show. So I'm assuming you lived in Vegas that entire time. What was it like to uh, kind of live in Vegas or, or stay out there so long? <laughs> it was cool, man. It was it was good. It was uh like I've always told people, they're like, well, how do you like Vegas? I was like, it's great because I'm staying at Vinny's house. <laughs> I was like, if it was just me on my own working my, you know, yeah, day yeah. job at Kohl's, it would have sucked because I was just living in a, you know, an efficiency or whatever. But it was great. <laughs> being out there was fun. I mean, I still had my life here in Texas, but yeah. uh, being out there and, and being at Vince's house all that time was amazing. Well, what were some of those? Uh, obviously, I've seen photos and uh, you know friends with Chris Kale kind of stuff, and you know, so I've oh, seen yeah. I've seen many a photo from uh, from Vince's house, you know, having chili cookoffs and things like that at the house. So I mean, you know, just just kind of give the uh, listeners a little bit of peek into kind of day to day life with Vinny. Oh my God! It depends. <laughs> uh, well, depending on the day, you know, you get up and you'd walk around the corner. Vince was always up by ten a.m. and he'd be there and working on his computer stuff. And I know you can't see my hands. I'm working on a computer, <laughs> but it's like, uh, he'd be there working on his computer and, and getting his business and shit taken care of for the day. 
and he'd finish up around uh, noon or something, and then he would just go out and get some lunch and hang out. Or you'd wake up, come around the corner, and he's like, you look like you need a shot. I was like, <laughs> man, I ain't got the sleep out of my eyes yet, man. Fuck. And uh, so we'd be pouring them up and uh, do some shots and hang out. Or if it was, you know, come Sunday, you got football shit going on. So he does Sunday Funday at his house like nobody, you know, and he's got – he'd leave. You wouldn't even see him for like a couple hours. Like, what the hell? And he'd pull back up, and he would have gone to like Sam's or something and bought like just – couple grand worth of food right just stuff for everybody and you're like there's no way this many people are going to fucking show up and then sure enough <laughs> here come all these fucking people <laughs> just throughout the day and it fills up and there's you know there's people in the pool uh you know some dressed halfway some aren't whatever you know they just be having a good time and vince is cooking for everybody and everybody's watching football and having a blast uh it was just it was a trip man we had like a like a ritual thing that we would do per days of the week of where we would go, what acts we would see, where we'd end up at the end of the night. And it was always kind of like a, just a cool thing, man. You go see a comedy act or you'd go see some big show, you know, down there on the strip and then end up at the top of some hotel and some bar or something with some other band and watching them play. And, you know, day turned to night and I turned to day. You didn't even know it before right. you wake up. And it's like three weeks later and you're like, fuck, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And it was a blast. That's the one thing about Vinny throughout the years. You see, you see photos of him at shows, and it was it never mattered to him, from what I could tell, if it was the biggest, hardest metal band or like you know Poison. You know, he was going to be at all the shows. It was it was no oh, matter yeah. no matter what it was. He didn't you know he didn't kind of shy away from his kind of glam past. He you know he went and hung out with L.A. Guns and Bang Tango. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, the, the greatest thing about Vince is Vince was. And he always told everybody, he goes, it doesn't matter how old I physically am. He goes, up here, I'm still 17 all the time. Yeah. And he's always a fan. You know, he was always a fan. And no matter who it was, if it was, you know, like you said, if it's, you know, Megadeth or if it's the Sin City Sinners right. or if it's some other, you know, whatever group, he's going to go and watch him play because he genuinely loves the music. And we would have a blast just going to see, we show up in some bar somewhere and some little band to be playing. And, you know, he'd be just jamming, just digging on it. And then, of course, one of the band guys would look up C. Fans and be like, oh, shit. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but he made no bones about it. They're, you know, yeah, they come over like, dude, you know, can we get a picture? He's like, fuck yeah, man. You know, and just congenial as hell. And he just, he loved everything and everybody, man. He's just a good dude. Let's go back. To, oh yeah, yeah. The, let's go back a little bit. Um, You said you would see Dime out places. Do you have any Dime stories, you know, running into him places, things like that? I just remember uh, one night out, it was, what was it? Uh, I don't remember the name of the bar over in Dallas, but I remember Sebastian Bach was playing. And me and my buddy are like way off in the back by the bar, just kind of like staring at it. And you just see these Vinny and Dime's head just kind of pop out. <laughs> and then they go back in and we're like, oh, this is going to be one hell of a night. You know? And then like, you know, Dime may walk out and like hand people shots on stage and shit and then take off. And, but uh, it's just it was just random timing i guess for me more than anything like yeah. I'd, I'd get off work i was bar backing at this one bar and uh which was not too far from where their mom's house was and um i remember get off work one night i stopped by the store to get something uh like a grocery store and i'm getting something i'm half dazed and i see somebody out of my peripheral come in they go towards the magazine rack <laughs> and i see this somebody opening up like a whatever it was not hit parade or some metal magazine right, right. or something metal edge or something 
And I see, and I look back at him, and he just kind of like looks up and goes, just got that little <laughs> head nod thing. Nice, you know. So my interactions with Dom were, were few and far between, but the ones I did have were just kind of cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, bumping into him at like a Seven Eleven or something. You know. Yeah, he had that way of, and, and Vinny did too. But he had that way of, uh, you know, if you met him for just five minutes, you walked away like, man, I've got a new best friend. You know, <laughs> you know Dom. Yeah, he yeah. was they were they were so magnetic. Those two guys. They were, and they never made you feel like you were an outsider, you know? Right, right. They always made you feel like it was just like, they just wanted to see people smile and have a good time, you know? I, I love that about them, and I've tried to kind of do that on my own where I can, just kind of, because uh, I appreciated it so much from them to, you know, I mean, I've always done my best to be nice to folks, but right. they just emphasized it so much more that when you see somebody and you're just like, you know, you're just like they are. Let's fucking, you know, <laughs> right. let's, let's spread it out, have a good time, and, you know, it'll be good. It's cool. How early into Hell Yeah did you join as the drum tech? I came in during the uh, Stampede days. Okay. Um, they were, during the time we were on tour in Europe, it was uh, us uh, opening, actually, Stone Sour and Avenged Sevenfold headlining. And, uh, so I was out there and, you know, doing like band assistant stuff with Braddog and then doing Chad's direct assistant and then just doing whatever else I could to help out, you know, along the way. And uh, it was during that time when uh, when Cat had left and we had a couple of fill-in dudes like Mikey B from Lamb of God came out for a while. And then uh, we had another dude named Boomer that came out and he did some stuff for Vince to finish up that part of the tour. And then it was directly after that we came home. We were doing the U.S. side on the Stampede run, and that's when Vince hit me up. Yeah, Hell Yeah was one of those bands, man. When I, when I heard the lineup of you know with, with Tom from being from Nothing Face and you know Chad from Mudvayne, and you got the you know obviously the drummer from Pantera, you know like those those powers coming together, man. It was it was going to be a an awesome you know super group. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and they were they were fucking awesome. They had such a great time out there. You know, the early days were a little bit more tumultuous. <laughs> They're, you know, trying to find your footing as a, as a, even though everybody's seasoned, you're coming on yeah. as like a new band. And the stuff that they put out was, it was raw. And they were, like I said, they were trying to look for their footing and they're, find out what they're doing. And it kind of started with them just having a good fucking time. Yeah. You know, be it barbecues and drinking and hanging out and all that kind of shit. They just wanted to give that good time back. And that's kind of how it started. You know, still be raw and heavy, but, still you know per, you know just give out that good vibe and let everybody hang out and just have a blast and then um of course later on it became a little bit more refined as they uh got tuned down and everybody was like let's just go you know we're trying too hard to do this other thing let's just go and do what we do hmm. individually collectively and that's when it kind of you get stuff like blood for blood yeah. The crazy thing I always thought about Hell Yeah was when you would see tours come out and they would be the opening band, like you said, you know, on, a, on a bill of three, but they would be the opening band. And you're like, man, those two headlining bands owe their entire careers to to the, you know, Pantera, Mudvayne, Nothing Face. Like they they owe everything to that band. But yet, you know, Hell Yeah is out there opening for all these guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was it was kind of crazy. But everybody there was a lot of you heard a lot of those guys that we were out on tour with would come back and they would thank these guys and tell them, you know, if it wasn't for you, we right. wouldn't be here. 
you know, and of course that was kind of the running thing that they would do, turn around and say the same thing. Well, if it wasn't for you guys doing this tour, we wouldn't be here. So <laughs> nice. it all comes full circle, you know? And, uh, but that was, that was what a lot of what made that, you know, those times fun. That and the fact that Benny, you know, Benny's love for barbecue and getting out there and cooking for everybody on tours, no matter where we were, you know, between yeah. that or taking people to dinner. I mean, he just, <laughs> it, it was fun, man. But everybody, all those people were always so thankful to, uh, to Vince and thank them for, you know, Pantera. And, you know, you heard those stories. It's kind of like with the, uh, you know, with the passing of Eddie, it's like, all these people saying, you know, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't right. be doing what we did because you guys were the first ones that turned us on to, to play it. So it's cool to hear that, uh, you know, people having that kind of gratitude, even though they may be in some of the biggest bands that are out there today. Yeah. Just don't let them have that humble side to tell Vince, or in this case, Eddie, you know, <laughs> uh, that they would, or, you know, in that case, all the tributes to Don. Oh, giving yeah. everything up to these guys as being like the pioneers that got them there. I love that. I think it's beautiful. The one thing that was always crazy is like all the barbecues and things like that. And obviously most people know that, you know, that the opening band on a bill of three is not making a lot of money. So I kind of wonder <laughs> if Vinny even like broke even on tour or even just came back, you know, uh, you know, owing money as he got home. Yeah. Vinny didn't care. <laughs> yeah. Vinny just wanted to, he wanted, he wanted to get everybody out there. Let's all have a good time. Let's make some fucking music and just have a blast. You know, and he always conveyed that and he pushed that forward, whether he made money off of a tour or didn't make money off of a tour. He's like, fuck it. <laughs> you know, he's <laughs> like, let's go out there and just fucking have a good time. He was still the same kid that he was when he started playing for Pantera. Yeah. You know, at the early, early days, he was still kind of that, you know, had that kind of that, that lust for it, that, that lust for life or that want to uh, get everybody to have a blast. You know, there's always a story of Phil wanting to come out to a Hell Yeah show and was blocked to not come. Uh, any insight Great. on that? Uh, the only thing I can tell you is that during the Hell Yeah times, uh, no, Vince didn't want to have uh, that interaction. Okay. You know, I don't think his, his mind wasn't ready to address that. You know, he still had a lot of animosity and stuff uh, towards, you know, Phil and everybody knows how all the other right, right. things had played out, whether what side was good and what side wasn't. Uh, it was always, I know it was tough for them to, especially Vince to, to even talk about it, want to deal with it, yeah. whether it was Phil or not, you know, it's, you know, and he got addressed with the stuff about dime and the, and the murder a lot. Uh, and you can always see it in his face and he's just like, God damn. All right, here we go again. You know, but he, he did it with grace and handled it nicely. Uh, as far as the Phil thing goes, yeah, we, we were we were told at different times, you know, don't, I don't know if he shows up, don't let him come on stage. I was like, OK, well, you know, you're the boss. I got to, you know, do what you tell me. Um, now, we'll say this whenever we got to the uh, the public ceremony that we had from Vince. The celebration of life and me and the guys over there at the Palm Factory were running through all the video footage. And uh, we're like, all right, cool. And we're time coding some stuff just to let it run right. And look, <laughs> I see the, uh, you know, somebody's face would pop up, say their piece about Vince. And it's rolling, doing some music, goes to the next one, and I see Phil pop up. And they're like, <laughs> two guys doing it, like, what do we do? And I'm like, <laughs> let me hear it. Just run it. Yeah. And they ran it, and he was very, he was sweet. It was short. It was to the point, but it was heartfelt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was like, you got to let it run, man. 
I said, this thing's, it's done. It's, it's squash it, let it ride. You know? So it was, uh, it was nice to hear what he had to say. Um, I know it's still hard for a lot of people to take sides. You know, a lot of people want to take sides and shit. I don't. No. I don't take sides in that shit. What's done is done. Um, And we can't bring anybody back. You know, I'm sorry that that it all happened. What caused uh, Gail to flip his shit and do what he did? (laughs) Don't know. Don't care. He got his. Uh, Sorry that we lost the people that we lost. Yeah. You know, uncalled for. Fucking uncalled for. But, uh as far as the uh, the fill thing goes, it's like there's there's no hate left because why? Right. You know the when that played at the funeral and Phil pops up, you know, with everyone in the room. I mean, was it kind of a kind of a gasp at that time too? Ironically, no. It was it was weird. It was kind of like it was almost like uh, it seemed like from the fan the crowd reaction that it was like a putting it to bed kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, their reaction to it was was better than I thought it was going to be, and I'm glad it was. Um, but you know, you've got people that have worked for those guys, the Pantera crew. You know, that was there. You know, everybody was there, and you got to you hear this stuff, and you know, they knew them way back when. Yeah. when. Everybody was good, and everybody was fine, and everybody was doing their thing. So, you know, I can't imagine what those guys felt, but. Uh, just coming from you know my side of things, it was cathartic to hear him say what he had to say. Oh yeah, and I'm glad that that uh, at least for that time period was just like I said, put to bed. Now another guest that I'll have had on this by the time your episode comes out is Mark Eglinton, the uh, co-author of Rex's book. And obviously, right. I, I read Rex's book, very disparaging towards Vinny throughout the whole thing, almost borderline over the line over the top so many times. And I know Vinny had a lot of negative things to say about that. You know, were you, and I'm, I'm assuming you were around for when this book was released and kind of the backlash for all that too. Yeah. Uh, I was with Vince. We were actually in Vegas when we were, that had come up in conversation and this is all I got out of it. (laughs) Shaking his head. He just was like, yeah, he was like, whatever, man. Yeah. He just, shrugged it off like whatever man yeah it's a tough so, read man it's it's it, it, i even like i was as i was reading it, i looked at my wife and i was like i was like how, how does anyone say this about anyone especially someone that's you know basically they've you know, gone to the top of the mountain with it was pretty it was pretty crazy to see how negative he was towards vince yeah i didn't read it uh to tell you the truth i don't care to yeah i don't really i don't wish anything bad on rex i mean good on you man go on with life and do your thing uh wish him all the best but i don't have any you know i really don't have a standpoint one way or the other all i know is that at that stage of the game if it had offended vince uh i I was just like i don't have a better way to put it i'm team vince right you know (laughs) but i wasn't around for all that shit yeah uh you know i can't you know i can't give validity to it whether or not shit's true or it's just bullshit it's sensationalism i have no idea yeah. Don't care. <laughs> Truthfully don't care. Um, cause that's, that's between those two guys and that's not ever going to be settled. So. Yeah. It was one of those things where, where obviously when I was going to have Mark on, he's like, you have to read the book first. And I was like, I had the book. I just, you know, read a little bit of it and put it down, but I finally read through it real quick. And I was like, Oh my God. And then 
you know, at the time, even up until till Vince's passing, you know, the, there was still hope of at least, you know, those three getting on stage together and playing. And then after reading that, I was like, there's no way that Vinny would ever walk on stage with uh, with Rex again. You know, no, huh? no, he would. <laughs> no. I mean, and for Vince, the whole thing was as people kept talking Pantera reunion, Pantera yeah. reunion. He goes, dude. Bottom line is this, fuckers. I mean, <laughs> he's like, without my brother, there there is no Pantera. Right. That's it. It's done. It's over. Yeah. You know. And I know that they've had offers of of various calibers, money wise, to go and join up, and maybe have Zach play. Yeah. You know. But he was just like, no. Without Dom, no. Right. So. So um, one of the last times I saw Vince was was here. Uh, I'm right outside Louisville. Um, I went, hung out with Chris Kale that night. We, we go down to the hell yeah show. We hang out afterwards and it was right after soon after the Columbus show and Vince was telling kind of holding court talking about how, you know, that was the first time he'd played Columbus since dimes murder right? and you know, Hey, the whole day and, and just going on and on about how, Honestly, it really wasn't as a big deal as he thought it was going to be. What made it so bad was everybody all day long was asking him, are you okay? Are you sure you're fine? Are you good? <laughs> you know, that's that was kind yeah. of his takeaway from that day. What do you remember from that day in Columbus? Uh, I remember, we, well, we went into it and uh, it was, I remember when he agreed to do it, we were all just kind of like, uh? like really? <laughs> <Right. We're> gonna, <laughs> this is happening? All right, well, fuck it. But everybody was on, you know, our the way we approach things with, Stage security. I mean, we have our, you know, what you, everybody, every band goes out and talks, has their security guy talk to, uh, you know, house security and what that means. But as far as our stage security goes, every tech that I work with, they're also, that's part, security is part of your gig. So we were on high alert the whole fucking day from the time that he looked out the window in the morning until he stepped off the bus, till he made it to the stage, all that shit. And I even had what the house guy was like, Hey man, here's this photographer that management says he's going to shoot behind Vince. I said, the fuck he is. Nobody's shooting behind <laughs> this. That's a period. Right. Nobody's taking any pictures back here. We had one guy that was allowed to, and he had clearance and, uh, he came up and that was fine, but nobody else was up there. Uh, we kept everybody else off to the sides of the stage. You know, everything was pretty tight for that day. And then, uh, we're all nervous because we just didn't want, you know, something odd happening and a balloon pop and events freaking out or right. something, you know, because you didn't know. I mean, and he was chances are we were way more vigilant than we should have been. But it was for good reason, you know, and uh, he just kind of took it in stride and played through it and had a great time. And it was cathartic for him because he got to get up and, you know, to see him stand up above his kit and address the crowd, you know, just that was badass. Oh, I bet. I mean, yeah, because, I mean, there were definitely stories of, you know, if they were on tour with the band and there was an Ohio date, it, it, I don't even think it mattered what city in Ohio. If there was an Ohio date, he wouldn't play it. And a, a, as much all the way up to that, he would drive around Ohio just to get to the next town, yeah. you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't quite that bad. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we did uh, we did stay out of Columbus for a long time. And, uh, you know, for that reason, uh but we didn't we didn't skirt Ohio per se. We right. were just kind of we just didn't go there. And uh, he he finally just agreed to it, and it was like he was just ready to be, you know, try to put something behind him at least a little bit, not dime because he'd never right. let that go, uh, which for good reason. But um, 
yeah, he just uh, didn't want to do it. And one day he did. And we're like, fuck it. All right, let's go do this. After that, everything was cool as far as going to Columbus and whatnot. Now, granted, we didn't go small town Columbus. We were at the stadium over there, so everything was cool, you know. But yeah, there you go. Yeah, man, what's crazy about the Alarosa um, is I had actually played there maybe six months earlier. Like, I was on on tour going through, and... um, and it was just like, I was like, man, you know, it seems, I was like, if you wanted to break into this place, you would just jump this fence over here. And, and, right. you know, and then I start reading kind of how everything went down that night in Columbus. And it was like, he kind of jumped a fence. And I was like, oh my God, like, like it, it just, it, it was just sad. I mean, where were you that night? You know, how did you find out about Dime? I was at work. I was, no. uh, I was working, believe me, this is leads into me being a drum tech. Yeah. I was in automotive finance. So I'm working at this this office, and uh, I remember like driving. I was driving home or something. I don't remember exactly how it all came about or what happened or how the news got to me. I think I, it got to me at work that day, yeah, that morning because I was just I got there early. I worked my ass off, but throughout the day I'm hearing stuff, and I'm like, "There's no fucking way. no, 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 no. This this can't be right." And I remember coming home. I walked to my bedroom and turned the TV on. And I saw the news report come up and I was just like, just like somebody hit me with a, you know, the Hulk sized fist square right. in the chest and all the air went out of me. I was just like, oh God, no, 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 no. And you just sit there, tears rolling down your face. Like I said, those are, like I said, even though I wasn't close to them back then, yeah, that's still, that's still your hometown boys. You know? right. You're close by, it's like being close by association, you know, and, uh, you know, knowing other people that did know know them or know of them close, you know, that kind of thing. And you're just like, man, your, your heart immediately just goes out of your chest and that sucks. Uh, um, and it just didn't make any sense. Then none of it made sense. Yeah. You know, it was it still doesn't fucking make sense, but you know, here we are and things were what they were. I know Vince was never the same again. And, uh, by the time I even, I came working with him and, uh, it was, you just saw it every day, you know, in his eyes. And he was, he was just, it affected everything he did, you know? Now don't get me wrong. It wasn't always like constant depression. Right. Shit. He'd be in a good mood and shit. And he'd be telling us, Oh man, Don would love this shit. This would be, you know, he'd be right. telling, you know, whatever the story was, be it gambling or whatever. Something would remind him of something that Dime said and he would throw it out there and it was great. But yeah, it was, uh, it was tough to hear that. You know, and uh, I can't imagine for the people I know that were with them that night, uh, my heart always goes to them, you know, always goes out to them. The band members, the crew that they had out with them, you know, it's like the people that were there in the club, the other people that were killed. I just, you know, even the guy that owns a fucking bar, (laughs) it's like, dude, I don't, you know, you can't ever, I can't imagine how that that is. I mean, I've been around like death a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but from family members to friends to this and that, but I can't imagine that scenario, you know? So, and you think about shit like that and then like the battle clan that happened over there. Yeah. It's like, woof, fuck, man. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's gotta be tough. And what's crazy about the Alarosa, I think it stayed open until like just a couple of years ago, which, which is, uh, you know, I, obviously you being kind of in the, in the bar business that somewhat, you know, something that right. tragic happens 
A lot of times that place shuts down, opens back up under a new name, maybe the same management, same owner, but I mean, you at least change the name of the place, you know, oh, yeah. and try to try to, you know, uh, wash some of that away. And, but no, man, they just kept going. Yeah. And it's like, and it's a, it was a constant reminder. Anytime you saw tour dates, it's like, oh yeah, Columbus, Ohio, the Alarosa. And you're like, oh, well that, you know, that's where Dime was murdered. You know, it was never, yeah, exactly. it never went away, you know? Oh yeah. I agree. And it never, never did, never will, as long as that building's standing. Yeah. You know, I'm sure the owner, being a bar owner, he had to do what he had to do to stay open, you know, make his money and stuff like that. I get that. Um, but yeah, it's got to be difficult on anybody just going in there and playing, yeah. you know, or seeing, you know, the spot in the floor or wherever where Dime was. And it's just like, uh, you know, <laughs> and then every night, I know every night that I got behind a kit, got behind Vince's kit. And I thought about, it did cross my mind every fucking time that I thought about how close Dom was to him yeah. when all that shit happened. And that just, it blows my mind. Cause I can't imagine, like I say, my, you know, I play guitar. I'm not, I'm damn, I'm damn sure ain't Dime. <laughs> <laughs> not even not, close. Yeah, not many are. But my brother's a drummer and I can't imagine being that close to my brother and something happens to him. Yeah. You know, that would just, that would, that'd be it for me. So how he how Vince managed to carry on after that's just amazing to me. But that was his therapy too, so Yeah, I was going to go. say I mean, you know, obviously he's he kind of stayed in the industry of of what, you know, where he was when when Dime was murdered. So so you've got to see him out every night of of a hell yeah tour with kids coming up to him and being like, "Oh man, Dime but like he he constantly had to hear Dimebag stories. Constantly, oh, yeah. and, you know, it was a constant reminder. So, I mean, it had to be just a, probably one of the hardest things ever, you know, to to continue on and hear stories daily about your brother, you know, to where, you know, I don't even know. And from what a lot of people say is maybe he didn't, uh, you know, deal with that, those emotions and, 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 and you know, wash all that away and kind of kind of focus on on that part of his life. So getting it brought up to him every day probably had to be super tough on him. Oh yeah. And you get it, you know, you get it from all angles, be it foreign press or whatever. And he had to go through interviews and you knew the, you knew the question was coming up cause it always did Yeah, something about dime. And he handled, you know, most all the time he handled everything with grace and composure and, and handled it very well. You know, everybody has a bad day. Yeah. Everybody. I don't give a fuck with the biggest <laughs> star on the planet. They're going to have a bad day. And you might be that one guy that catches them on that bad day. So that's going to be the story that gets the sensational headline. Oh, so-and-so is an asshole. It's like, no, Dick, they've had to field these questions over <laughs> and over again for eight months. Yeah. And you're the last guy that hit them on a bad day. So, uh, but the, the, the worst thing I ever, you know, somebody brought something up in the way they worded it. And I realized that fans get excited and that's going to happen. Yeah. And some people aren't exactly wordsmiths when it comes to <laughs> the way that they word things and, and speak. But, um, I just remember somebody worded something that was slightly off color as to the way they put it. And Vince was just like, no, I'm good. I'm not trying to hear that right now. Right. And he just, that, but that was it. It wasn't a big blow up. It wasn't screaming, not a fuck you, not, none of that shit. He was just like, I'm not trying to hear that. And that was it. So he handled all that stuff really with the, like I said, grace and composure. Uh, you know, kind of, obviously we got to get into a little, little bit of this, but I mean, you know, what were some of the, the, the last, you know, moments you had with Vince and, uh, was there any kind of, uh, you know, you, you knew anything was coming or was it just a complete shock when, when you found out he passed? That was a complete shock. Yeah. Complete shock. Uh, Vince was always good about, you know, going to the doctor and if something was weird, he'd go get checked out or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I really didn't see it coming. Um, 
the the last interactions that we had, you know, were phone conversations and text messages of just going uh, talking about, well, hey man, what's you know what's going on? How's the album coming? You know, you know, did you guys get contracts figured out? Whatever the hell is going on right, guys out on tour? He's like, yeah, we're just like, he goes, man, he goes, I've been home too damn long. I'm ready to go out on tour. I'm ready to play. Let's, you know, let's fucking go. <laughs> and he goes, I said, well, how's the uh, record coming along? He's like, all my parts are done. Everything's good. The guys are putting stuff together. Chad's going to put his stamp on it. We're good to go. I'm like, cool. And uh, we just had like the same conversations we normally do, you know, day in, day out. And uh, everything was fine. And <clears throat> I had gone out to uh, San Diego. Uh, my son's in the Navy, so I was hoping his family move into their new place and everything. And uh, the last night I was scheduled to come home because I was playing a little local gig here um, the next day. And I got a call. It was like late at, later in the evening. Me and my son were out in his backyard grilling up some stuff. And uh, I remember I got a call from uh, Kyle Sanders. And Kyle lives in Georgia. So for me, it being in San Diego, it was fairly late for Kyle to be calling. Yeah. And I answered the phone. Ooh, I'll see if I can do this without breaking. Uh, You're good. Yeah. I got a, uh, I got a, you know, Kyle's on the phone and Kyle's in tears, which you don't hear. Right. <laughs> I mean, Kyle does, you know, he's, he's a private guy. He keeps that shit to himself. But he's like, I was like, what's going on? <clears throat> this is where it gets hard. He goes, he goes, uh, he goes, have you talked to anybody? I was like, no. I go, what? what's up? He said, Vinny's gone. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> you know, and I was like, what did you just say? Gone Vinny's gone. Where, where, yeah. he, where the <laughs> fuck did he go? Yeah. You know, and he goes, no, Vinny's dead. And I was like, you got to say that again. And he goes, Vinny's dead. All I remember was, I don't remember feeling my legs buckle. Yeah. But I remember hitting the ground. <clears throat> You're good. One second. Anyways, so yeah, okay, got it. So he he tells me, uh, my son looks at me, he's like, what's wrong? And I said, he just told me Vinny's dead. And my son's like, what? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, and I look up and my daughter-in-law comes out of the house with a double shot of Jack. <laughs> she didn't even know what was going on. She goes, drink this right now. And I was like, yeah, boom, hit it. She goes back in, comes out with another one, drink this one. It's like, boom, hit it again. And And I was like, you know, just talk to Kyle briefly. Then after I was like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. And he was like, he had a heart attack or something. I don't know, man. We're trying to figure this whole fucking thing out. What's, you know, I was like, you gotta be shitting me. And I remember, you know, that night just being, I was just in space gone, you know, and, uh, God damn, still getting to me. Hey, uh, <laughs> you're getting me too, man. Yeah. So, uh, I was trying to reach people and talk to people and see what I could find out and everything. And I remember coming back to, uh, <clears throat> coming back to the, uh, the airport the next day. Cause I still had to come back and I didn't even really realize my connecting flight was to Vegas where he was. Yeah. And I was just like, fuck. And I couldn't, I was like wrestling with myself. Do I leave? Do I go to the house? Do I try to see what's going on? And, uh, I'm like, I got to go home. I got to play this gig. And that's all I could think about. I was like, I have to go, I have to go fucking play this gig. I can't, you know. Right. And my buddy that's doing the gig calls me and he's like, dude, are you sure you can do this? Because he'd heard by then. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I was like, I have to. He what do you mean you fucking have to? He goes, dude, I'll do it by myself. He goes, he goes, no, man. He goes, uh, he goes, uh, you just stay where you're at. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm coming to do this gig. So I got home 
and got in a car and I left something out of the story. When I got to the, the San Diego airport that morning, I'm just kind of zombified and people are, I didn't even look at my shit. People are pointing to me. I'm just showing them my tickets and so they're pointing me to the gate and I get down there and I'm sitting there and I look up and I see this three on the gate and I'm like, <laughs> don't, don't do this. And I, look, <clears throat> I looked up at another sign and another one over here, all of them threes. I was like, you funny <laughs> motherfucker. So, but I got home and, uh, Went out to uh, Abilene, Texas, yeah, and it was just like a three-hour car drive. A buddy of mine picked me up, drove me out there, and uh, we did the gig that night. And uh, my buddy goes into playing comfortably numb, and I was like, "Okay, this is where it's going to get weird." And we stopped, and we always had this thing, this one song uh, called "Good Day for the Blues," and uh, that's always something that meant a lot to me and my buddies. <clears throat> so when he goes, this one goes out to Vince, and it was just, dude, I could barely play. I was just <laughs> like, it's just tears and shit. Yeah, and, yeah. But the crowd was cool and they were very supportive and he kind of let it out of the bag as to who I was to Vince and people were just like, the people I didn't even know, man, hugs and right. shit. And, and it was weird, but it was, uh, it was cathartic for me to have that and to play that because, you know, he told me, he goes, uh, another little story is that while I was on tour with Hell Yeah uh, a few years back, my dad passed away. So... I, I still did the show that night and uh, Vinny's like, are you sure you can do this? I was like, yeah, I can do this. He goes, well, this one's going to go out to your dad tonight. He's got the best seat in the house right next to Dime watching this show. So did that one. And so when it came to me doing that gig uh, the day after Vince died, I did the gig because all I could hear was Vinny and my dad going, if you don't play this gig, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> right. So I was like, done. So I went and did it and I'm glad I did it. Uh, Cause it probably helped me more than, you know, I could have ever thought it would. It was just, it's still, you know, I have days where it's just, you know, it's, it's hard to do. Uh, cause it just kicks up on you. You know, you're oh, yeah. good. It's two years ago and you kind of move on and try to do your thing, not move on. you never, you never get over it. You just get through it. Yeah. Now, now here's a, here's a little weird story for you. All right. Okay. Over my shoulder on that wall back there. There's a picture of Vince okay. that a fan had drawn. Okay. Now, that being said, when I got the picture, I'd hung up and it was, you know, on the wall sitting there. And I remember uh, uh, talking on the, uh, the phone to my buddy, the same guy I did the gig with, as a matter of fact, this dude, Kerry Freeman. And uh, I look up there on the wall and the fucking picture's crooked. So it's like, and that's weird. And I goes, as we're talking, I kind of reach over to go adjust it. And I got about a foot from it. And that fucking picture was like this. It goes, I was just like, <laughs> you fucker, man, stop that shit. Wow. You know? And it just, it weird shit happens like that. You know, they, uh, those boys leave little clues and shit for us in, in various ways. And, uh, it's cool. You know, it's, it's like a, almost like a running, like not a joke. It's a comfort thing, but at the same time, it's like, quit fucking with me. <laughs> it's a trip. Um, you and I have been Facebook friends for a very long time. And yep. um, a couple of things that you, you posted around that time is you posted a photo of his drum kit. Um, yeah. You know, did you have to go in and tear it down one last time kind of thing? Was that well, what that was from? from no, this? that was a the pic. I remember the picture that you're talking about. It's got the lights and stuff behind it. That was a picture I had taken that we, uh, when the boys were in the studio yeah. with Kevin Churko over at the hideout. And uh, it just seemed apropos. 
it was, you know, just his kit sitting there by itself. Yeah. And it was just, uh, just kind of how I viewed it. Now, granted I did, uh, you know, go back to the house. I've packaged up drum kits and I've packaged up, uh, you know, some other stuff of his, um, that, you know, made sure it went to its appropriate locations or whatever, but it was just, uh, and it's always been weird. Um, you know, I keep some, a pair of his drumsticks with me, no matter what band I'm working for, they always stay with me. Um, it's just kind of like a good luck charm type of thing. And, uh, uh, it's, yeah, there's, there's been several times where I've had to deal with some of his things and it's, it's, uh, it's difficult every time. But it's it's almost like you feel that that pat on the back, like yeah, it's cool, yeah. man. Everything's all right, <laughs> you know. So I mean, he's had he had to calm me down on a few occasions myself. So he uh, he was always good about that shit. So yeah, I've uh, I didn't have to break that. I did break that one down, but that was that was a picture I'd actually taken while he was still around. Oh, okay. And um, but yeah, that one I put that kid away myself. So. Uh, but that was not he, he was he was here at the time, so it just kind of came back around that it showed up in my photos, and I was like, "That's the, the <laughs> shot I have to go with," you know. The um, and then the Hell Yeah tour that they just the the, the latest Hell Yeah tour that they did with uh, Roy Mayorga. Uh, oh. Did you did you go out and do that too, or yes, did Roy did. use his own guy? No, the only the only show that they did without me with that there was two shows. They did the uh, the Vegas show, the first one out of the gate when they kind of decided to, to go ahead and go forth and they're going to use that one as like the template to see whether or not they could go ahead and keep touring or not. Yeah. And then the, uh, the only other ones that I, the other thing that I didn't do was ship Okay. The, uh, the two subsequent tours that followed, I went ahead and did those with Roy and, uh, Roy is just, he's, he's a beast, man. And he's a badass. And the, uh, the amount of respect that he gave Vince and learning everything that Vince did. I mean, there were parts that Vince did that were backwards to a lot of the way some drummers play. So Roy even went out of his own comfort zone and learned to play them the way Vince played them versus how he would normally try to go at it. Cause he's like, there's no other way you can do this. You have to do it this way to get the right, everything from the syncopations that just fills to everything. <clears throat> and he, he knocked it out of the ballpark. He killed it. He just loved it the way he played it, you know, and it was a brotherhood too, because Vinny loved Roy, Roy loved Vinny and they would, you know, they were like a brotherhood and anytime we saw each other, it was always a great time, you know? Awesome. And, uh, so having him out there was fantastic. As we're kind of, kind of winding down here, man, what's the, uh, what's this coffee? What, 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 what have we got going on? Oh, here? <laughs> yeah. Um, I got approached by, uh, the people at rot. Uh, we were going to do like, uh, they were looking to do some bands and stuff and see about other bands wanting to do stuff and, uh, putting their name on a label and getting some coffee out there. And I'm like, cool. Well, at first the guys didn't bite at it and we're kind of, I guess people, you know, we're busy, we're touring. They're kind of, maybe there's skepticism or whatever, but they're like, do you, if you know anybody else that wants to do this, let us know. I was like, yeah, I know somebody. And I'm like, who? Me. <laughs> they're like, okay, we're curious. Let's see what you got. And they're like, what do you want to call it? And I was like, well, there's gotta be something in my, you know, it's almost like a, a silent tribute to everything that is rock and roll. Mm -hmm. And it's got to be for the fucking road dogs. It's got to go out there for the guys that are out there and girls that are busting their ass every fucking day to make these shows happen, you know, from for everybody, 
from the from the people out there, you know, working the arenas and cleaning up after people to everybody that's busting their ass to make these shows happen. So it's got to be a road dog blend. Um, they're like, well, what do you want to call it? I went, let's see, everything that embodies rock and roll, Peking's 333rd road dog blend. <laughs> nice. So it's, I mean, because that nothing says that more to me than the spirit of, you know, the 333, the uh, what it meant to. It's a tribute to the boys, the Abbott boys. It's a tribute to the, just the rock and roll spirit in general. It's a spirit to everything that embodies what, what we all got to love rock and roll for. You know, that's not endorsed by them. They have the, the estates have zero to do with it, but it's it just kind of my own concept as to what everything means in the spirit of rock and roll and how it deserves to be remembered. And they still have to have that fucking punch to it. So it's a dark roast, but it's not bitter. It's a, one of the few dark roasts that's out there that you can find that has no bitter, like the shitty bitter aftertaste. Yeah. It's very smooth. Um, and it's, it's just fucking delicious. <laughs> so, I mean, I can't that's give the you tagline. So, it's just fucking delicious. It's, it's just fucking delicious. I should have, damn it. I should have went with that one. <laughs> it's just fucking delicious. But yeah, I've got that one. It's as, as a matter of fact, there I have it a is. Bag. There it is. But yeah, that's the one. And uh, sold through the uh, Rocked brand, which is R O C K D. Uh, you can find it at, uh, you know, rockedbeverage.com. It's, uh, you can get it in bean form or in uh, ground when we do the, uh, the 12 ounce bag and we do the five pound bag. Um, it's, it's really, really good shit. But is it in the spirit of rock and roll for the road dogs, by the road dogs? You know, it's yeah. it's good shit, man. And it's uh, I'm really, really pleased with the way it came out. Um, I'm really – dude, that's, that's it's my go-to. It's what I drink. And I've tried various other uh, people's coffees and whatnot. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying it to uh, <laughs> toot my own horn, so to speak. But it's fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> how so. have you? Uh, how have you been holding up through the pandemic? Obviously, with a, with no touring. I know that the one thing with the crew guys. I mean, you guys don't get you know residuals and and royalties and all that stuff. I mean, it's like you get paid by the gig or by the week. And when there's no tour, there's no money. So I mean, there's no nothing. You know, they're the you know the road dogs. You know, as you know, as the coffee says, you know the the uh, the road crew. Um, kind of are the ones left out in all this, you know, and I yeah. know a lot of people are struggling out there. So how are you holding up? Uh, as for me, I'm doing good. I actually managed to, uh, to, uh, I, I'm not a big spender. I don't no. buy a lot of shit. I barely buy anything for myself. Um, so I managed to put away enough cash to carry me through until hopefully everything ends up going well next year. Um, you know, hopefully, <laughs> If not, I'll be down there going, hi, welcome to Walmart. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, you know, that's the thing. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to, uh, to, uh, do what I have to do to pay for my shit until I can get back out on the road. There's a lot of people out there that aren't doing as well. Yeah. Um, and I feel for them. I feel, hell dude, I even feel for myself in some occasions cause I'm like, damn, I, I want to be working. Yeah. I'd rather be working out on the road and giving shows to people than anything. Um, but unfortunately, that's not the case. We got to hunker down and do what we have to do right now. We may have to find jobs doing shit we've never done before, but we will get it done and we'll do what we got to do to, you know, to get through that. Hopefully, uh, there's a lot of good people out there that have been doing this for a very long time. I hope they make it back out to doing it again. 
if they don't and they have to do something different, then that's cool too. You know, uh, it's tough on everybody in different ways. Just I know the that the entertainment industry as a whole has been you know bitch slapped by this whole COVID thing. And uh, regardless of what side of the fence you stand on uh, on those issues, uh, we just all want to fucking get back to work. And I, I know I'm going to do whatever it takes for me to get back out at it. Uh, you know, I've done some live streams with uh, Lamb of God. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got some good brothers and uh, sisters out there with the uh, Black Label Camp. Everybody's there. There's, you know, 10 years guys have been great to me. The baby metal folks have been great to me. Everybody's been really cool. Uh, but we all got to, hopefully we can all get back out there and start doing these shows for people again soon and, you know, bring some smiles to faces and, you know, some rock to the masses. As it were. <laughs> um, you know, and, and we'll, we'll just kind of wrap it up on, uh, you know, just kind of you know, throw out one good Vinny story that, you know, always puts a smile on your face. And <laughs> if you need a second, uh, you know, go ahead and take it. Oh man. Oh, there's so many. <laughs> Uh, everything from, I mean, there was, there was little ones like, uh, we were, we were playing someplace in Milan and him and the guys took off and Vince comes back and he's kind of half buzzed. He's like, man, I just went to the Vatican. I'm like, you're the wrong city, man. (laughs) But he's like, yeah, he goes, apparently some dude left his keys in his moped. So I fucking took it. He just (laughs) took off on somebody's moped right around. Now the one that I tell the, the, the most, because it's, it's the uh, one of the funnier ones to me is the one I've told to people about Vinny, this kid waiting outside in Belgium for Vinny to come out and, you know, just say hi. This kid was just, he waited all night long. It's like three in the morning. Clubs have been closed for hours. He's still out there and he's waiting. So Vinny comes back out and he's like, uh, he's telling, oh, Vinny Paul, and the kid's in tears, man. He said, oh, Vinny, I love you, man. He was just sign this for me. He's like, sure. He goes, would you sign my car? <laughs> and he's like, what? He goes, would you sign my car? He goes, well, where is it? He goes, it's around the corner. He goes, go fucking get it. So this kid comes around the corner in this, this night, late 1960s piece of badass American muscle. And we're in Belgium. And he's yeah. like, what the fuck? He goes, this is your car. And the kid's like, yeah, yeah. So Vince signs the hood real big. So it says eat more pussy giant letters <laughs> on, on this guy's, you know, Vinnie Paul. Yeah. And, uh, and he goes, well, throw me the keys fucker. And he's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, man, throw me the keys. So the kid throws Vinny the keys. He tells the kid to get in. And then he tells his security guy to get in the car. This guy, Gus, he goes, get in the car, man. And Gus is like looking at our tour manager who's going, do not let him drive that car. (laughs) And we're like, fuck, what do we do? So Vince is still laughing the whole time. He gets in the car. Gus gets in the car. The kid's in there. He squeals the tires, hauls ass down the street. You know, just a straight shot street. And he's like fuck and then like everybody's kind of like freaking out like what the fuck and he's hauling it. all you hear is like wah, 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 you know just shifting <laughs> gears and... yeah yeah <clears throat> so he gets out down the street to almost where the sound is just about gone and the lights are completely gone you don't see shit and all you hear way off in the distance is like ah! you know the squealing tires and we're like oh fuck <laughs> fuck what the hell happened <laughs> About that time, just in that distance, you hear those that the engine sound just and it's getting louder and louder. And then you see the lights come up and you're like, okay, cool, they're still alive, great. And he's haul, he's hauling ass and he's not slowing down for shit. So he comes up over the hill, fucking gets right by, you know, passes the bus, he gets right in front of the club and just fucking slams on the brakes and the car spins a little bit and he he hops out and the kid's like, oh my, and the kid's freaking the fuck out. He's like. 
there you go, motherfucker. And as he's walking back to the bus, he throws the kid the keys. He goes, I bet you got your pull on that, didn't you, motherfucker? See you next time. And we left. That was it. Wow. He got on the bus and we left. That is a, that's a great way to end this, man. Uh, Patrick King, man, thanks so much for taking the time tonight and, uh, and, bet, and telling stories, man. And uh, as as I ask everybody, you know, what's your, what's your go-to Pantera song? My go-to Pantera song? Ooh. Well, I have to go back to... Well, if I wanted to go power metal, I could say, you know, any of the first two tracks are great. But I think my always my homegrown go to uh, to this day is still Cowboys from Hell. Just because of that fucking intro. Oh, yeah. I just love it. I mean, there's all of them are great. I love all the songs. But anytime I hear that, I just get pumped up. I get jazzed. I want to fucking, you know, I want to throw down. I want to fucking punch holes in the wall. I want to do all kinds of crazy shit. But it just pumps me up. You know, yeah. I love that shit. Yeah, nothing better than uh, seeing them live, and you know, the, the crowd, go, the stage goes dark. That that little and then we're taking over this town, and it's just yeah, it, it, it was magical every time I saw it. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you to Patrick King for coming on. Like I said, it gets rough there towards the end. Uh, you know, you, you, you're going to have to take this with kid gloves <laughs> going forward and uh, try to celebrate the catalog of Pantera, the shows of Pantera, and everything about Pantera. And there's a lot of tragedy in this band, so uh, it's, I guess it's inevitable to have to talk about, and we will talk about it. But man... After doing this interview, it took me a little bit of time to calm down. You know, I my emotions were running high on this one. And uh, yeah, it just kind of goes to show that, you know, you're getting into a Pantera podcast, but you have to deal with so much uh, tragedy and uh, in, in the inner workings of the band and the crew. So make sure to reach out to Patrick King. Let him know that you enjoyed this episode of the Drag the Waters, the Pantera podcast. And make sure to check out his coffee, uh, P. Kings 333. Road Dog Blend over at rockedbeverage.com. So until next time, I've been Joshua Toomey. This has been Drag the Waters. Thank you for checking it out.